the best part of John's whole gospel. I told you last week, I, I think it was last week, to look for the climax. Did anyone do that? We're good little boys and girls. Of course we did. Good. So, uh, to me, and of course, everyone gets gripped in a different way. Some would say Thomas was the climax with his exclamation of my Lord, my God. That's the most God-exalting thing you can call Jesus. Uh, but I, I really, really, in light of the gospel beginning with, in the beginning was the word... I love the fact that it says in 1941, now the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had been laid. So Jesus is in a garden when he's buried. And even Mary in chapter 20, verse 15 says that she thought Jesus was the gardener could be so easily overlooked. Like, Oh, it's a nice place. No, what John is saying is that Jesus bringing the new creation, hello, Eden that was lost has been restored to the human race. This is the garden. The, the garden has returned. That Eden can be re-entered. Fellowship with God can happen. And as God walked with Adam in the cool of the evening, we know in Genesis, here we see Jesus walking with a woman in the cool of the morning. This is the new world, and it begins, as Genesis does, in a garden. And not just in a garden, but as in Genesis, God takes the dust and forms man and breathes into him the breath of life. So we see Jesus taking his disciples and taking them and breathing into him his spirit. These are very intentional connections in which we are being told very clearly that the new creation being brought to us in Jesus and being finished on the cross was birthed first day of a new time, first day of the week, early in the morning while it's still dark. You can't, this is the newness of something in the garden. It has happened. Jesus's resurrection is the very first appearance of the new creation. That raised body, which can go to the Father and go to earth, can eat human food and can go to heaven. This human body that can go through locked doors and and surprise the disciples. This body is what awaits us in the new creation. We see the very first glimpse of what's to come when Jesus comes out of the tomb. You see the picture? This is the newness, the dawn, the new world, the new creation. The garden has returned, but very quietly, as all gardens are, they're quiet places. And it's easy for us to overlook the fact that the garden has returned. It's easy for us to miss the new creation, to not see resurrection around us, especially if we are not Pacing our lives to the pace of the garden. You can imagine Mary entering that garden very, or it's dark. She can hardly see, maybe just as barely seeing silhouettes of trees. Stars are still out up there. Maybe a soft little silver glow over the eastern horizon because the sun's coming close. She's shuffling up dust and she can hear, the only sound she hears is rocks crunching under her feet. And then suddenly the crunching stops and her feet impress into the damp soil a little bit. She's now entered into the moisture of the garden. 
Everything got a little cooler. Sounds are now being absorbed by the plant, so everything's a lot quieter, a little even more quiet. You can see this, right? You can smell. You can smell the fragrance. You can even, even the dew is still there on the rose as she walks by. This is the new creation, and this is the pace of it. Jesus didn't come out of the tomb with trumpets blaring and angels announcing like at his birth. He came out very quietly. Nobody even saw him come out. And Mary didn't even recognize him. Peter and John realized, well, something happened, but they booked it before they saw him. It was as if the world's greatest secret was just whispered. And it would be slowly whispered from disciple to disciple to unbeliever to unbeliever. And even still, we are rushing past the moment over and over and over. Our pace of life, I might be preaching the choir a little bit, because in Lake Arrowhead, Twin P, you know, our area, pace of life is a little slower than down the hill. But even still, I think that we can get caught up in a life pace that's too fast. We have this tendency to want to get ahead in everything we do. Now, this is more of the younger person, the less... Uh, we're, we're, they're very wanting to be first, be best, do the most. And even when we're less young, we can still be that way if we haven't quite matured all the way. But something in us still wants to keep trying to get ahead, keep moving. We like the pace. And I see a little bit of that when young John is racing young Peter to the tomb. Remember? And this is brought up three times, I beat Peter. John racing him to the tomb. What, what is the deal with like this is this is sacred text, right? We are in holy ground as we're treading into this garden with the disciples. And this is supposed to be the holiest moment of Christendom. The son of God who was killed came out of the grave. The new creation is dawned and John's throwing jokes in here. It's almost like this is irreverent, John. What are you doing? It's all about you. Apparently Jesus just rose from the dead, but let me tell you about what I've done. That's funny in a ridiculous way, yet we live this way all the time. Jesus is risen from the dead and we go around saying, yeah, but look what I've done. Look at who I am. Look at how cool I am. And John does this. Now, John, this is the strange part. John is first to the tomb, but he's the last to write a gospel. You remember that Mark writes in the sixties, Matthew and Luke in the seventies, John's writing in the nineties, 60 whole years later and 30 whole years after Mark first to the tomb last to write. I see in there a young man who was rash learning the wisdom of the garden's pace. John says, okay, and you know, John was the last gospel to be decided what that was. It was part of our biblical canon. We had Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then early church fathers. Some of them didn't really like John, but eventually it was included. It's almost like John's having to put a defense for himself. Hey, I was there, people. By the way, I was there first, so count me in. But see, it was a struggle there for John, and, and John was in no hurry. John wasn't 
later in life, he didn't feel like he had to prove himself. Younger, yes. I, everybody, guess what? I get A's. I got this job right out of college. My friends, they're still doing part-time jobs. I got a salary, okay? And like we just so want to prove ourselves. And that was John. But somewhere between the event of getting to the tomb before Peter and writing his gospel 60 years later, we have a wise young man who's become well we have a young man who's become a wise older man and he's learned that life isn't a race life isn't about beating everybody to everything was it fruitful oh absolutely we've gone through john together we're just about at the end and i think if you're like me you agree there's something so unique about john's gospel compared to the other three Something so unique, something so deep and profound, yet simple. It's so beautiful. We could go through it again at the end and probably have completely different messages. And you're like, all of us will be like, wow, this is still a great book. Let's do it a third time. Like, we could keep going in this book. It's so amazingly deep and profound. And see, that's the result of a man who said, what I saw was too good to write down too quickly. We have in John the fruit of 60 years of deep reflection and meditation. Now, contrast that with Peter's gospel. You may remember when we did Mark that Peter was the informant for Mark, that Mark and Peter co-wrote. Peter's kind of just not a good writer, so Mark wrote for him. Peter's ideas, right? And Peter and Mark together write the first gospel 30 years after Jesus. Peter's like, okay, John might have beat me to the tomb, but I beat him to writing a gospel. <laughs> but, but, but now, this is not to put Mark's gospel down. I love Mark's gospel in its own way. But Mark's gospel is nowhere near John's gospel. In Mark's gospel, we have 10 miracles in the first five chapters. Do you hear that? John's has seven in the whole book. Ten in the first five chapters, it's, it's young Mark and Peter like, let's impress the world, you know. Let's come at him with a bang and boom, Jesus did this and this. And the word immediately is all over John's gospel. Jesus immediately did that. It's such a fast-paced gospel. And there are many stories and many miracles in Mark's gospel. Peter. But John, not, not to put Mark's gospel down. Remember, it's a great gospel and it's scripture. But John... I'm going to give it another 30 years. I'm going to let this marinate a little more. And then he brings it out. You know what? I don't need to hurry the story at all. You read this next to Mark. Bam, bam, bam. And John, Jesus is talking for how many pages? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> some of you are feeling it, right? When we're reading some of these 70 verse long chapters. It's incredible. It just totally slows it down. And so in here we see Proverbs 19.2, which in one translation says that those who go too fast miss the turn. And John learned that. You know what? My life isn't, I used to be the one who wanted to race everyone to everything. Not anymore. I'm going to move at the pace of the garden. And so I want us to think about the pace we live life at. Are we overlooking the beauty of the resurrection because we're so concerned about our position and how quickly we're moving? 
Or are we able to slow down and, as the saying goes, smell the roses? Or notice the resurrection appearances of Jesus around us? Can we see them? I think we could see the resurrection of Jesus in everyday acts of kindness, love, forgiveness. We see miracles, but we just, we keep thinking about our next appointment and don't even acknowledge how touching and moving that event was right there. As often, we don't want to know. We just like, keep that away from me. I'm going to keep moving. We haven't learned to move at resurrection pace. So what we need to do is as light can be incredibly blinding and your eyes need to adjust to it, we have to adjust our eyes to the life of Jesus, the resurrection life, which is so deep and magnificent that we often look right over it. But it takes time for our eyes to adjust and to actually see what is in front of us. It took Mary a little while. She didn't know what she was looking at for a while. Look at Peter and John racing to the tomb and getting out of there. They saw the same tomb Mary looked into, but she saw something they didn't see. There were two angels in the tomb and Peter and John like, oh, well, he's gone. And they just move on. And, 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 and Mary's left behind. She lingers in the garden. She stays there. She doesn't want to leave until she knows about Jesus, knows what happened to him. And she looks in the tomb and there she sees one of the most breathtaking images we find in scripture. Not just, whoa, I saw two angels. That would be really cool. But she sees two angels right where the body of Jesus had been laying, one at the foot and one at the head, which is the picture of the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies of Israel's temple. The two angels facing each other where the sacrifice would be laid. She is looking into the Holy of Holies, not in the temple, but removed and brought into the garden. And of all places in a tomb of death. What is she seeing? And the new creation, heaven isn't just out there. It's humans and God together. And she is seeing heaven and resurrection life breaking into everyday experiences like death. Breaking in here and there. Because she moved at the pace of the garden. And she looked in and she saw something that the others had missed. And I wonder how many times the Holy of Holies is right next to us and we completely overlook it because we're thinking about how to beat Peter to the next destination. Our eyes need time to adjust to the magnificent life that has been thrust before us. And then she realizes it all when she hears her name, Mary. You can't hear that rushing point A to point B, this and that, trying to be the best. We hear Jesus say our name when we are able to slow down, say, you know what? I don't have to get ahead. I don't have to be the best in the first. Because Jesus calls the name and appears to those who are not trying to get ahead, but to those who are willing to stay behind and linger a little while, as Mary did here. So, brothers and sisters, we have the garden in our midst. Eden has been open to us. I ask, have you ventured into it 
Or are we so busy running by it all the time? Even doing good things. The Good Samaritan passage? Well, the priest and the Levite that passed the man that was hurt on the side of the road? I bet they were going to go do really good things for God. Priest, like, I got a sacrifice appointment. I got to get over there and sacrifice that animal for that worshiper. A good thing to do. But he was not moving at the pace of Zoe life, of the resurrection, of the new creation. And he totally didn't even see the Holy of Holies right there in that hurt person. He could have shown resurrection right there. And that's what's presented to us. Are we going to race each other or are we going to linger a while to hear Jesus say our voice and let our eyes adjust to the brilliant life before us?